Welcome back to the Rebel Alliance. It's Nate and Chris in the office again to bring you another podcast. Hope you're having a great day. Nate, how are you doing today? Doing great. Can't, can't complain. Getting a little bit more sleep now and uh, uh, life's good. How is life's the little good. guy doing? Judah is doing great. He's um, sleeping and eating. <laughs> that's, that's pretty much it. And crying. That's, that's what babies do. Uh, but he's doing well. He's, he's gaining l- weight, and he's—it's uh, cool to have a son. Uh, He—he's still like he's still a little baby. He's only a couple weeks old. So aside from the crying thing, you basically described my life: <laughs> sleeping, <laughs> eating, gaining weight. <laughs> like, well, there you go. Jude, Jude will take after his uncle. All he needs is like some gray hair and a kicking beard, <laughs> and he's on fire. Give him forty years. <laughs> Give him forty. Forty. Ouch! <laughs> You're killing me. You're killing me. How are you doing, Chris? I can't complain, to be honest with you. I'm having a good week. I'm now finished school for the year, which is fantastic. I feel great about that. I'm going to be able to finally catch up on all the books that I've been told I should read over the year. Yep. That I had to put aside. Suggested reading list. And I can't wait to just start banging through my big stack of books and just go. Nice. And then we'll have a whole bunch more stuff to talk about as we try to dissect those books that you read in January last year. And you'll be like, you should read this. Just waiting on you. Yeah. Just waiting on you. (laughs) Just waiting. Yeah. Yeah. I'm sorry. I apologize. Forgive Fair me. Enough. Apologize to our listeners, not, uh, not no me. Problems. Speaking of our listeners, um, if you're listening to this podcast on iTunes or on Facebook or any other the mediums like SoundCloud, feel free to give us a rating. Um, we don't ask that because we want to see our, our names lifted high. It's because the more you rate five-star ratings and reviews, the quicker this podcast comes up on anytime somebody searches for podcasts or Christian or culture. A rebel. Or rebel, alliance. any of those things, which happens all the time with the Star Wars, right? People will see this podcast, click on it, be able to hear the gospel message that we're bringing forth. And if we can get the name of Jesus saturated on the airwaves, saturated in everybody's day-to-day life, the kingdom will expand. And that's the goal of this podcast and the goal of all the podcasts that we plug on this show and expand as well. And it also helps, you know, get that message out. So that would be much appreciated. Yeah, for sure. And uh, and so I thought we'd start off today, Chris, before we get into our actual topic, uh, just by asking an opening question. You always ask me opening questions. And I thought of one, you were just talking about you being finished school. And, uh, and I know that we kind of celebrated you finishing school. And so at celebrations, oftentimes people uh, will give gifts and say nice things about you that they don't really mean, et cetera, et cetera. But uh, so here's a good question for you. I think it's a good question. What's the worst gift you ever got? Oh. I won't say like, what's the worst gift you got for graduating? <laughs> because, you know, somebody just gave that to you. And so it's fresh. <laughs> but what's the worst gift you ever got? The worst gift I've ever gotten. Oh. Well, I I have had a few bad ones in my life, but I'm not going to go with something like super easy or like a, oh, I got an ugly shirt or anything like that. No, I did have somebody one time give a donation on my behalf. I don't actually know if they did it. Was but it, it to was, the human fund? Was no, it George I, Costanza? <laughs> I did ask. It was right after that, right? So I just dated myself. But no, it wasn't to the human fund. It was to some charity that I've never heard of. But hey. That's fine. But the, that's not even the worst gift I've ever gotten. The worst gift I ever got, well, actually I have two, and they were both actually in the same like season. So my birthday's in October. Yep. So rate prime, everybody's back to school, looking good because you got the summer clothing. Like that was a big thing when back I was to in- school shopping, back baby. To, back to, which for- for us, that was the only time of the year we got clothes. Yeah. So that was good. <laughs> yeah, um, trip to Walmart. Sorry about that, parents. Um <laughs> 
hey, I didn't have a job. I, I get it. Um, my grandma, bless her soul, um, bought me, how do I even describe this? If you've ever heard of MC Hammer, you will picture right away he had these huge balloon pants that parachute tapered. Pants. Basically a parachute pants. I think yeah. they're kind of back in style now um, for girls, but not for guys. Um, and I have thick legs. Like I'm not a, I am not a thinned legged man. And I had these pants, but not only were the pants, it was my grandma just thought this was a great idea. It was actually attached to like a button up shirt. So it was a, an MC hammer onesie. Like a romper. Yeah, like a romper, but like long sleeved and long wow. and long pants. So you'd have been trendy now. Do you still have it? <laughs> <laughs> no. No, I don't. I did but the problem is like I like I like I said, we didn't have a lot of money, so and I was like you can't go to your grandma who you adore and be like, This is the ugliest piece of clothing <laughs> I have ever seen. So I had to throw on my Brooks shoes. And rock that, like, I guess we'll just call it an MC Hammer robber, to school at least once a week, all the way up until the spring, when I finally finally realized the great idea to do that would just get it ripped, and then be like, oh, it got ripped, so I tore the knees out of it. Um, But I had to wear that thing, and that explains a lot of why I was bullied in public school, I think. (laughs) Harsh. That's a rough, that's a rough MC Hammer romper for a white guy growing up in East London, Ontario. Yeah, yeah that, it was terrible. And the pants were green. Like, Ooh. not just like, I, like a, a shade of green, like almost like a, like a, like a, not a dark hunter, like a very light, like grass colored green. And the same year I got, I'm just going off here. The same year I got an M, like a Manili Vanilli, Milli Vanilli t-shirt because they were like popular when I was in public school. And... I got the t-shirt and like I, three months later, they got busted for being like lip syncing. <laughs> right. But I, I don't have a ton of clothes, so I still had to wear that <laughs> Turn shirt. Turn it inside it was, out and keep on going. terrible. Oh, it man. Terrible. You had a rough childhood. Yeah, I did actually a little bit. So my, my worst gift Trust ever uh, goes back to my childhood as well. Uh, so we were, we were pretty close with my, my godparents, right? So they were, uh, he was an elder at the church that my dad was the youth pastor at, and they, they worked together a little bit. Uh, so their names were Kevin and Lori, and they lived on a farm. And for Christmas one year, I must have been like maybe 10 years old, which would have made my brother, eight, no, maybe even less than that. So let's say I'm, I'm probably around eight, my brother's six, my sister's four, like right around there, right? And, uh, and they gave us a cat for Christmas. Uh, we always had dogs, and so none of us were really cat people. But, hey, they gave us a cat. That's a nice, I mean, I'm sure my parents were thinking, great gift. You just gave us responsibility. <laughs> but we're kids, right? We got an animal. That's fine. But they gave us a cat that was, like, born in their barn, right? So, you know, like, on farms where there's all these, like, barn cats and stuff. So we got this barn cat that was honestly, like, a, like savage. Like It was like it was a wild animal that we brought into the house. It attacked all of us. I remember several times, like, like going to go into my room and it's under the bed and it just attacks your feet. And, like, I'm talking, like, actual, like, drawing blood for all the children. I remember one time my sister was crying up in her room and we run upstairs and it's because she like couldn't get out from under the bed because the cat was like prowling around outside like a like a jaguar or something it was it was traumatic i can i can imagine i still don't like cats well if you've had a terrorist cat in your house i understand seriously so anyway i think we gave the cat back because we didn't have it for very long but yeah so the wild cat that harassed and and attacked all the children was probably (laughs) the worst gift i ever got so if if you're listening to this podcast (laughs) and you have kids who are entering public school 
think before you purchase. Think before you purchase. Just ask yourself, would I wear this? And if the answer is yes, don't buy it. So here, here's, here's what we'll say. Bad gifts can create trauma in your children's lives. And now you know. And knowing is half the battle. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. All Good right. reference too, by the way. Yeah, I know. I know. All the, all the people our age who listen to the podcast will understand. If you're a child of the 80s, you'll, uh, you'll scream G.I. Joe when I said that. So there you go. Um, all right. What are we actually talking about today, Chris? We are, we are on to the fourth of our series about the, the meta narratives of scripture. And today we are talking about restoration. So we've talked already about creation, fall, redemption, and today we get to restoration. Uh, sometimes, depending on, on who's uh, summarizing the Bible, they might say consummation, uh, but uh, we're going to use restoration uh, for our purposes today. And, uh, and essentially, so we, we kind of talked our way through Scripture uh, as best we could uh, up until last week, and, and we cl- kind of climax with the death and the work of Jesus Christ on the cross. And, uh, and so here's just a couple of things that we've said. So Jesus dies on the cross, and just to tie some of this stuff together, right? So um, the curse enters the world in a garden, Adam's disobedience at a tree. Jesus defe- destroys the curse on a tree, and uh, the curse is reversed in a garden tomb where Jesus' body was laid to rest and he was resurrected. And so you get this synergy within the story that God is telling and you get this this foreshadowing, you get this awesome stuff. There's also, um, you know, so the the original uh, proto-evangelium in, in Genesis chapter 3, verse 15, that the, the promise that there would be a Messiah who would crush the head of the, the snake um, it's interesting because as you go through the Bible, you see some pictures of, of e- evil getting its head crushed. And when you get to the New Testament, uh, Jesus gets crucified at a really interesting place, Golgotha, which is called the place of the skull. And so right on this, uh, this little hill, this little mountain that was called the place of the skull, um, the, the, the cross post for the cross that Jesus was crucified on gets, gets dug into the ground, and right there Jesus dies. And his death, the wounded heel warrior, dies with the, the, the post of the cross dug into the head of the skull, uh, just showing us that, uh, that he's there crushing the head of the snake. And so Jesus' death on the cross reverses the curse, and, and just like last week, we mentioned that the, the curse didn't change everything all at once, right? So Adam and Eve sinned. They might have even been tempted to say, maybe the snake was right, right? When he says, surely you will not die, because days later, things look exactly the same. And so um, the, the increments of sin were, were maybe not noticeable day to day or month to month or year to year but over generations we saw the decline and we saw the 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 effect that sin wrought on the world similarly christ dies and is resurrected from the dead the curse is now reversed right we sing this at christmas far as the curse is found and uh, the curse is reversed but it doesn't happen all at once it it doesn't it doesn't arrive like the 82nd airborne it arrives slowly like uh, like a mustard seed growing into a mighty tree, like leaven that's worked through the loaf. Um, restoration of the whole world is now in progress since the resurrection of Jesus, but it's happening slowly. Yeah, exactly. It's, I, th- I think Christians are sometimes guilty of thinking the story stops at the resurrection. And it's like, yeah. that's the climax of humanity, 
Right. But the story doesn't stop there. The story continues on with us being grafted into God's family, going forth, winning the nations for Christ. We're going to get into all this um, as we go, but the story doesn't stop there, right? There is a there is another part, and that's this part right now, Red- restoration. Right. Bringing the world back into a state of where God would call it good. And so I just pulled off a, a, a website, a popular website, got questions um, that kind of goes through the grand narrative of scripture and it goes through creation, fall, redemption, restoration. And I just want to highlight what they say for restoration because I think you and I would differ a little bit from how they articulate this. <laughs> so when they get to restoration, they say the story doesn't end with redemption. Hey, Chris just said that. I agree with that so far. Uh, God has promised to renew the whole world. And the Bible gives us a peek into this glorious future. We're on board here? Yep, so yeah, far. We're good. we're good so far. It says, the restoration of all things will take place. Christ will return to judge sin and evil, and he will usher in righteousness and peace. God will purge this world of evil once and for all. And though there are aspects of that I can agree with, I think you and I would differ here because we don't think that redemption takes place and now we're in a 2,000-year interlude where we're just waiting for the restoration. We, we believe that redemption has taken place and therefore restoration is in the process of happening. Yeah, exactly. Like, like we said in the last episode, restoration happens, but it's not an immediate... It's not an immediate zapping. It doesn't all of a sudden look like it was supposed to in the beginning right away. It's a slow process, just like the fall was a slow process from the world going from a state that God said was good into a state where he had to destroy the world through a flood. Restoration is the reversing of that. So God, on the darkest day of in history, Jesus is murdered on the cross but he rises from the grave and restoration begins to bring the world back into a state that God will consider good. Amen. As we read last week, it would be Doug Wilson saying, uh, the garden that was turned into a wilderness is now in the process of becoming a garden city. Yeah, I can't say it as clever as Doug Wilson. No, neither can I. That's why I just quoted him. Um, <laughs> but uh, And uh, I, I think just just to give you some idea just so we understand that we're not just going to we're going to go through a couple of texts but uh, but just to give you a full biblical picture right this this mini series is about the narrative of scripture so we want to tie as much of the bible together for you as we can so if you go all the way back to Deuteronomy in Deuteronomy chapter 7 it talks about how Israel is essentially crying out to God and saying you promised to give us this land but as we look around us there are other there are enemies in this land there are other nations and they're more powerful than us and God comes to them in, in Deuteronomy chapter 7, I think it starts around verse 20 or 22, and he, and he says, um, you know, the nations around you are more powerful than you, and, but I will drive them out. I promise to give you this land, and I will give you this land. And then he goes on, and he says something really interesting. He says, I'm going to drive them out little by little. And so it shows this, this principle in Scripture. Now, the reason he gives is because if I, if I drive them out all at once, the wild animals become too numerous for you, and, and then you might not be worrying about the Canaanites stealing your children, but wolves eating your children. But we also know that wild animals are no more of a problem for God to drive out than, than Philistines or Canaanites or Amorites <laughs> or Hittites. But the point is, is that God's showing a principle to his people, that they take over the land little by little, that there is this process that's, that's going to happen. Um, and we see this throughout Scripture, right? So we see in, um, 
in the famous Christmas uh, verse in uh, in Isaiah chapter 9, it talks about, right right after it says, uh, his name shall be Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God. It says, and the government shall be on his shoulders, and of the increase of his government and of peace there will be no end. So it's talking about this gradual increase, right? If you go to the book of Ezekiel, in Ezekiel's temple, it talks about the the, the living water that overflows, that, that kind of becomes a, a wet spot on the pavement that grows till it's ankle deep, and it it's knee deep and it's waist deep and it becomes the living water that flows out to the nations until the whole world is is wet. Um, or you look at um, in Daniel chapter two, right? The the dream of Nebuchadnezzar in the time of the fourth kingdom, in the time of Rome, it says the small rock that's carved out not by human hands um, uh, destroys the fourth kingdom. Right, smashes the the statue and becomes a mighty mountain that fills the whole earth. So there's this there's this picture that we get in the Old Testament of this slow, gradual growing into something that will eventually become the kingdom of God. That will eventually become uh, the kingdom of God that overtakes the world and restores it back to what it originally was meant to be. Exactly, and that's that's the pictures that we see in the Old Testament, and then Jesus expound like. Ex- like expands on that by giving us the parables of the kingdom. That's right. The mustard seed growing slowly until it takes over the garden. Right. The leaven until a little bit of leaven in the bread until it takes over the whole loaf. Right. Like the idea is that starts small and grows and continues to get bigger. And we see another little almost paraphrase of this where it's like Jesus talks about being the cornerstone. The capstone that was rejected is now the cornerstone of a foundation. Well, what does that imply? That something's going to be built on top of that, right? Right. And so the idea is that he's the centerpiece of something that's going to be increasing and growing on top of that. And so we see that throughout the New Testament. Like um, one of the good hermeneutics in the New Testament is the the idea of the kingdom's expanse. The book of Acts is a book that basically is devoted to the expanse of the kingdom right so we're gonna we're gonna get into it but yeah, yeah we see this this is not something that's just been pulled from the old testament or just from the new testament this is or that we're cherry picking verses exactly right. this is a process from the beginning of time really until now right so we would say it this way Redemption, we, we talked last week about how redemption is not just individualistic, that Jesus didn't come just to save individuals. He did come to save individuals, but he came to redeem the world. He came to buy the world back to himself. And so similarly, we would say your own redemption, if you're listening to this and you're a Christian, you are in Christ, then I hope that tomorrow you look more like Jesus than you do today. And next year you look more like Jesus than you did last year. The idea here is that you're being sanctified. So you've been redeemed, right? You've been justified. You've been declared righteous before a holy God. But now he's in the process of of, of practically and, and realistically making you into the person that you've been declared to be. That's the process of sanctification, becoming like Jesus. But we recognize that that's a process that 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 happens over time. And so though your redemption will be complete, the Bible says he who is faithful, right? He who started a good work in you will see it through to completion. So so you will be completely glorified. You will be perfected in Christ. When we see him, we will be like him. But right now you are in the process of uh, moving from justification to glorification, and that process is sanctification. And that's the restoration of you from what you are to what God is going to make you. And so similarly, we would say that the world is also experiencing that same transformational blessing that the gospel brings, meaning that 
as individuals are redeemed and sanctified, the world is made up of individuals, and the world is slowly becoming what God has intended it to be. And as the gospel goes forward, the restoration of all things under the headship of Christ is what we're in. That's the part of the story that we're in right now, which is which is such an exciting piece of the story. Absolutely. And so you can see here how redemption and restoration kind of blend together, moving towards the end, which we'll get to. Uh, but you have Romans 8 open there, so why don't we read a little bit of Romans 8 to show people um, what we're thinking. Absolutely. All right, let's start. Romans eight eighteen. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. For creation waits with eager longing for the revelation, oh, sorry, my apologies, for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subject to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. So we'll just stop there for a second. So, I mean, that's a that's another good little summary verse of what's going on here. It talks about, you know, the, the suffering that's still a part of our present age, right? The, the suffering that's still present in the world is not the final product. That there is an eternal glorious state that is being revealed and will be revealed to us. And what's interesting here is that it's actually talking for the creation. So that, that, that includes all of us. That's the world. That's the animal kingdom. That's humanity. That is, that is everything that God has created, the entire created order. order. It personifies that created order together here in, the, in, uh, in Paul's letter. And it says, uh, waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. In other words, as, as the sons of God begin to walk out their biblical mandate to be salt and light to the world around us, right? The, the light that, that shines in the darkness, the, the salt that preserves and keeps um, from decay. As, um, as individuals saved by grace begin to live out their biblical mandate of being salt and light, um, we begin to see that creation becomes what God intended it to be as we become good stewards with everything that God has given to us. Exactly. And you, and you see that when you read the, those verses, right? So creation was subjected, which means it didn't choose to fall itself, right? right. Like we, we gave it away right. and now we have to take it back. Amen. And, you know what I mean? So like we have to do that. And that's not a process that happens. It's not a zap. It doesn't happen immediately. It's a slow process. And we're involved in that process because God from the beginning of time, has chosen to use men and women to fulfill his purposes for his glory. Amen. And this is part of it. Amen. Verse 22, For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. And not only the creation, but we ourselves, who, are, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, groan inwardly as we attempt, oh, sorry, as we await eagerly for adoptions as sons, the redemption of our bodies, for in this hope we were saved. Now hope that is seen is not hope, for we, for who hopes in what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. So there's a lot there. Uh, we don't have time in this particular podcast to get into all of it, but it's, but it's interesting, right? So it's talking about birth. We know that one of the New Testament analogies for regeneration and for redemption is new birth. And, uh, and so it's talking about this, and it's talking about it in, in terms of there's a new birth that's happening, there's a rebirth that's happening, it's, it's, it's death and resurrection, not only of ourselves, right, Christ first, and then, and then those individuals whom he saves unto himself, 
but then also the created order that there is there is a rebirthing that's happening in the created order as well and it's uh and it's interesting it, uh, this is now talking about the the glorified bodies as well that we will get when at the resurrection of the dead that we aren't are in our eternal state yet we're not there yet but we're moving there and we're waiting for it and we get and uh and there's a there's a groaning that happens yeah and the and the imagery paul's using is is childbirth right so right what do we know from childbirth the child children don't stay children you know what i mean they grow right and they mature and they become until they're fully mature right and then they produce their own and so paul's using that analogy of bringing the world back in a restored restoration state is the same as childbirth it starts small and grows we just want to re-emphasize that so people are seeing this in scripture it's not us saying that this this is what scripture is saying right, right. so Absolutely. So then why don't you take uh, verse 26 right down to the end of 30 there and we'll, uh, we'll connect it all. Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness, for we do not know what to pray for as we ought, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groaning too deep for words. And he who searches hearts knows what is in the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. And we know that those who love God, all things work together for good. For those who are called according to his purpose, for those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son, in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. So again, we're getting this picture of, of being taken from justification to glorification. We're getting this picture of, of being conformed to the image of the Son. And that is the final place. That is the consummation. That is the restoration. Is the restoration of us being made perfectly in the image of God, bearing the image of God perfectly as Christ did. And that's what he's moving us towards, um, is, is, is Christ-likeness. It, that, that's glorification. That's what we're moving towards. And so that's what re- redemption is accomplishing in us as we work our way toward restoration. Yeah, it's, a, it's an idea of like being already but not yet people, right? right? So we are already justified in Christ through redemption, through his saving work. He called us, we were predestined into, into, his, into a justified state, but we're not yet glorified. We're going to be, but right. we're not yet there. But we're in Christ, but we're not perfect yet, just like the world is now being subject to the kingship of Christ through believers following the Great Commission, but yet it's not completely back to the way it should be yet. It's not in its glorified state yet. Right. It's on its way. Right. And so just like we are. Right. And so um, the the place I'd say we should turn next is 1 Corinthians 15, and I think this is kind of where we get this, this uh, where is this all heading? So some of our listeners might be sitting there thinking that we are going to get more into what new heavens and the new earth and what's all this look like. Uh, actually, next our, time. Next yeah, time. <laughs> our, our friends over on The Two Thieves actually did a, a fantastic uh, podcast on the new heavens and the new earth looking at Isaiah 65, and, and we are right there with them in, in our belief that uh, we are living in the new heavens and the new earth, and uh, it is a new created order that happened at the resurrection of Christ. Um, but uh, but we'll, we don't have time to get into all that. What we will say is we are talking about what redemption or restoration is. In 1 Corinthians 15, um, it's, uh, it's talking about the resurrection of Jesus. Um, verse 20, it says, uh, If in fact Christ has been raised from the dead, the firstfruits of those who have fallen asleep, for as by a man came death, by a man has also 
uh, re come resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ all should be made alive, but each in his own order. Christ, the first fruits, then at his coming, those who belong to Christ. Then comes the end when he delivers the kingdom of God to the Father after destroying every rule and every authority and every power. When a lot of people, I'll just pause there for a second, when a lot of people think about restoration, when they think about consummation, when they think about the end of the story, they think about Jesus arriving with the kingdom and kind of dropping the kingdom on earth, or depending on their eschatological framework, uh, destroying the, the world and then recreating a new heavens and a new earth, and that's the restoration, or that's the consummation. Um, but but if, if you understand the whole narrative of Scripture, God's already promised he's not going to do that again. Right? We talked about we talked that about. when we talked about that last week. After the flood, God promised he wasn't going to destroy the, the earth again. So Jesus doesn't come back and destroy the earth. Jesus comes back, and what does it say? That at the end, what happens? He delivers the kingdom to God the Father. Doesn't bring the kingdom from heaven to earth, but he delivers the kingdom to the Father. Where's the Father? The Father is in heaven. Where is Jesus? At the right hand of the Father. We, uh, Stephen saw that in his... Um, when the heavens were open to Stephen when he was getting stoned, um, he saw Jesus reigning at the right hand of the Father. So they are there, and what happens at the end? He delivers the kingdom, the fully finished kingdom, the final product of the kingdom. He delivers to the Father as a gift. That's what happens at the end. Yeah. Now we're talking about consummation. Now we're talking about restoration. Yeah, exactly. The The verse itself even says that after. You know what right. I mean? Like, um, then comes the end. He delivers the kingdom fully formed at that point, the kingdom, he delivers it after he delivers the kingdom to, after he's already destroyed every rule and every authority and every power. Right. So, so yeah. And, and so the, there you go. Verse uh, 24, then comes the end when he delivers the kingdom of God to the father after destroying every rule and every authority and power for he must reign until he has put all his enemies under his feet. Now that's actually, that's from Psalm 110.1, and uh, Chris and I often talk about and joke about how that's God's favorite Bible verse. You want to you know what God's favorite Bible verse is? It's Psalm 110.1. Why do we say that? Because it is the verse from the Old Testament that is most quoted in the New Testament. It's quoted in Acts 2, it's quoted here, it's quoted in Romans. And so uh, Jesus, or God wants to make sure we get this verse. He must reign. He's talking about Jesus. He must reign until he has put all his enemies under his feet. Psalm 1101 says, sit at my right hand until I make all your enemies your footstool. So the question is, when Jesus comes back, when Jesus comes back, what does the world look like? And a lot of us think that the world looks like it's a big, giant mess, and Jesus has to come back and fix it all. Forget the fact that he already told us, go and disciple all nations, teach them obedience, and baptize them. <laughs> Assuming that we won't be able to do what Jesus explicitly commanded us to do, assuming that we don't do it, Jesus comes back to a grand old mess and has to fix everything himself. That's not what this says. We, we, people get that idea because they use history and they use what is going on in our culture today to interpret what they see in the Bible instead of using the Bible to interpret culture. Amen. So they see, oh, ISIS, they see wars and things that are happening in in this time period trump <laughs> trump um, for our american listeners don't tell trump um but they see things like that and they think oh the world must be getting worse so they read verses like this and they don't think about what that means they just read over it and continue on because they think the world has to get worse because it seems that way on the surface but 
if Doug Wilson always used the art, like articulation, if you look at the world in 500 year increments or a thousand right. year increments, we are in a much better place today than we were 2000 years ago in many, many, yeah. almost all areas. When you think paganism used to rule the world. That's not the way it is anymore. Uh, we, we, we have uh, uh, in North America and in, in fact, around the world, we have um, holidays uh, devoted to the birth of Christ, the death of Christ, right? We, we have uh, Christmas carols talking about far as the curse is found, um, you know, in uh, playing in shopping malls. That's not to say that everybody who's hearing those things or everybody's playing those things are Christians. We're not saying that at all, but we're saying that um, there, there's a fundamental difference between how the world looks now and how it looked 500 years ago, how it looked from that 500 years ago to 500 years prior to that. We're just, we have chronological snobbery. We tend to look at things in, in uh, the lifespan of our own lives, but Ecclesiastes reminds us that you're a vapor. You're here today, you're gone tomorrow, but exactly. the word of the Lord is, is going to stand forever. And what does the word of the Lord say? Well, it says in verse 26 here, as I keep going, the last enemy to be destroyed is death. For God has put all things in subjection under his feet. But when it says all things are put into subjection, it is plain that he is accepted, um, <clears throat> that he is accepted who put all things in subjection under him. When all things are subjected to him, then the Son himself will also be subjected to uh, be subjected to him who put all things in subjection under him, that God may be all in all. So the point here is. As we look at the end of the story, right, and, and we're talking about the grand narrative of Scripture, and one of the things we might have all been tempted to do throughout this, this examination of the grand narrative is to make ourselves the center of the story, right? <laughs> God sent his son into the world to save me because he has a wonderful plan for my life. The story is about God. The story is about God getting back what's his, God allowing the earth to be surrendered to Satan so that he can put his mercy on full display as he redeems sinners back to himself. He could have made this story about his wrath and just destroyed the earth, but instead what he did is he showed us a picture of what that would have looked like through the story of Noah, and then instead decides to display his mercy by saving and redeeming sinners and restoring the earth back to its original intent. And so what you have here is Jesus reigning from heaven until all his enemies are placed under his feet in victory. The last enemy to be defeated is death. That is, through the work of the Holy Spirit, the church puts all enemies under subjection to, to Jesus. Jesus Christ, king of the universe, rules over every square inch of the world. There's only one enemy that the church can't defeat on its own, and that is death itself, that is Satan himself. Jesus comes down and judges the, la the last enemy personally, and that's death. And then he turns right around and he gives the kingdom that has been established on earth back to the Father so that God gets all the glory. Yeah. That's the story. That is the story of re restoration in not a nutshell, but in a, in, a brief, in a brief way. You can see it right there. Yeah. Right? So and notice the language, like if, if you're listening to this podcast and you would read this differently or think of the world in a different way, have a different, as we said earlier, eschatological view of, of what this is, wrestle with this text. All things, he's put all things under Christ's foot. He must reign until the last enemy is defeated. He will give back the entire kingdom. The language Paul is using is very final. Yeah. It's very much... This is how it will be at the end. And so what does that look like? 
well, we, we can only imagine, we can only picture that in our heads, but we can see here that all things will be put under Christ's feet until he, and then he, at the end, he judges death. So I, th- I just would challenge anybody who's necessarily not on the same page as Nate and I to read this passage and exegete this and find out what it's actually saying there. So what's the, the, the final end game here? What is what is restoration look like at the very end? It looks like the kingdom of God covering the whole earth, as the Old Testament prophets promised. And essentially, the, the promise that God gives, he says in Numbers 14, I swear by my own name. And then he re- reiterates this twice in the Psalms and again in Habakkuk 3, or Habakkuk 2, um, that the knowledge of the glory of God will cover the earth as the waters cover the sea. And that's the end game. The end game here is that God's glory fills the earth as, so this is the meta narrative going right back, as he originally gave as a command to Adam and Eve. Multiply, fill the earth, subdue it. As my image bearers cover the earth so that the knowledge of God's glory covers the earth as the waters cover the sea. They failed in that mandate, but everything that he did, pursuing his people with relentless grace to redeem them and buy them back to himself and then empowering them by the work of the Spirit to expand the kingdom on earth and and bring all things under subjection to Christ um, is the story of the earth being filled with the knowledge of the glory of God as the waters cover the sea. And that's the end product, that the earth reflects the glory of God and is filled with the glory of God as the waters cover the sea. And is there a better tale than that? No. that's no. God is such a good storyteller. Big, better than anything we could do. Better than anything we can do. Amen. Well, that'll, that'll conclude this series. If you've enjoyed what we've done here, give us a, give us a message send us out on Facebook or on SoundCloud. Let us know what you, what, if you liked it. If you have any questions further about this, we would love to engage with you on those platforms. Um, we're on Twitter, Instagram, and also on Facebook. You can engage with us in any of those things. And if you're listening to any of us on any of those platforms, remember to like, share, and uh, send these out to your friends, anybody who would have any questions. And we have some uh, some questions that have piled up, so we're due to do a Q&A episode pretty soon. And so we would actually love to interact with you about any of this stuff. So if you have any questions about any parts of this meta narrative that we've worked our way through, biblical theology, which is the kind of tying together of the whole narrative of Scripture, is a passion of, of both myself and Chris. This is, this is uh, how we think it's most beneficial to look at uh, culture through the lens of what is the meta narrative, what is God's plan and purpose, and where is he taking the world. Um, So we love interacting about this stuff. So if you have any questions about it, send them our way pretty soon because we are due to do a QA and a episode probably in the next couple of weeks. And uh, and we'd love to interact with some of your questions on it. Absolutely. Have a great one, guys. All right, take care. See you next time.